Okay, I think I'm on here. Okay. Let's start with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity that we've had to travel down to paradise and uh, help care for people down there and show your love to them. We ask your blessing on our time today of sharing, that we can just in a small way share what these people have gone through and uh, sh- that they can see the result of their prayer, the people here, the result of their prayers and support for this trip. In your name, amen. Luke 10:2 says, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. We really feel like that's what you folks did for us as we headed out to do this trip. And uh, we know we had your prayers and, and support, and that was a large part of uh, making this happen. So we thank you for that. And also thank Dave Lipinski. He's the one that actually initially brought this up to us and suggested a trip somewhere uh, within the states. And uh, this really, God really led us in uh, going this direction with it. I guess I better get my clicker out so I can click. Not the car fob. There we go. If you hear my alarm go off in the parking lot, you'll know I got the wrong one. And that was the beginning of the Paradise Fire, or the, uh, what they call the campfire, because it started on Camp Creek Road uh, near Paradise. The fire actually started up in the Polga, uh, just to the northeast of Paradise. Uh, Paradise is right in the center of the map there, with Chico about 50 miles directly to the west, so to kind of orient yourself a little bit. The fire started near Polga, spread toward the southwest. Uh, hit the town of Magalia, a little town of Concal in between there, and traveled on down to Paradise. So it kind of went down and through that ravine and came up and hit Magalia and Paradise uh, just fairly quickly after it started. Uh, that's a map of the, pretty much the final footprint of the fire. The fire covered about 153,000 acres, 40 square miles, took out about 19,000 structures, almost the, by far the majority of those were residential homes and uh, claimed 86 lives. At one point, the fire was spreading at the rate of one football field every second. And reports of it coming over the hill into paradise between 80 and 90 miles an hour. I've been around a wildfire for about 40 years, but the stories we heard out of here is nothing like I've, I've ever seen. I've been in some pretty, pretty wild situations a few times. Uh, one of the problems in evacuating a town of 29,000 people besides the normal things you can even imagine, is the way Paradise is located. It sits on top of a ridge. A lot of the signs that we saw about rebuilding the ridge uh, referred to that area. Uh, if you look toward the north, there's one road that goes out to Megalia, the narrow part of the ridge. As it comes to the south, there's four roads come out of the south. But as the fire came, again, from the, came from the northeast, it started cutting off those roads fairly quickly and really limited the access for everybody 
coming out of there. This is on the side of the ridge, so you can see it's very difficult to build any roads coming on, on the sides. So uh, fast egress was very limited there. But uh, we got our trip planned, and uh, uh, James's, uh, Leroy and Janice and Julie and I, we took our RVs and we headed down. And our first stop was in Ashland, Oregon, and this is how God always works on these trips like this. We, I kind of planned out Ashland would be a good stop for us, and I thought, well, we'll have to find out who the Nazarene pastor is there, and maybe we can stay there for the night. And about two days later, Lisa Roberson, who used to be our children's uh, pastor here, she posted on Facebook, guess who the lead pastor is for Ashland Nazarene Church? And it was her. So we sent her a message, say, hey, we're coming, see who can we stay, and, and they welcomed us there both on the way down, and then Julie and I stayed on the way back also. Uh, Chico Church, uh, the East Avenue Church in, in Chico, the Nazarene Church, they were our host uh, there. Uh, Trent actually put us in contact and gave us a Ron Zimmer name, Zimmer's name, the pastor there, and he helped us coordinate uh, our trip and put us in touch with the Hope Center, who's who actually uh, organized the projects and all for us. And so they allowed us to stay in behind their church there. They had several hookups along the back of the church. They were already had several people housed there that were displaced by the fire. So we parked alongside of them and in the field there, and that was our base of operations. Paradise is getting set up for RVs up there, but the two sites they had available were already filled up. So we stayed in Chico and drove up each day to Paradise. And it provided a real great spot for us to stay there. Uh, the Chico Church was an evacuation center, and it, over the course of time, they, they had over 600 people staying there at the church, 300 at a time. Imagine taking 300 people and suddenly putting them into this church building, uh, what that would do not just for the building, but logistics of everything. And uh, this area here, we helped uh, to uh, re, uh, build a new play center. This area had to be turned into a, a dog kennel area, so they had dogs in here, and they said the play structure was kind of questionable to start with, but by the time the dogs finished, it was pretty well destroyed. So they were putting a new one in. But they had things such as a huge, uh, I think they said 40-yard dumpster. They were dumping every, three of those, dumping them every day with that many people there. Uh, they were on a septic system, which was absolutely overwhelmed. And this was another God thing. They'd had estimates previously for about $120,000 to hook the church to, a, a city, to the city system. When they got 300 people there, it immediately overwhelmed the septic system. And the city, because it was urgent, they came out and for $6,000 installed the pipes. <laughs> uh, before we left, uh, James has left a little bit earlier than we did, but the last weekend we were there, uh, the Chico Church had a uh, trunk retreat, so Julie and I stayed there and helped them uh, organize that. Uh, Julie helped check people in, I helped park cars. They had over 1,200 people came through their trunk retreat there. Paradise, California, what was it like? Um, it was a city of 27,000 people. It is covered with trees everywhere you look, downtown and in all the residential areas, it's all pine trees. Great fuel for a fire. Um, the population is a lot of retired people and then the business people that, that run the businesses downtown. <clears throat> What did it look like after we got there? The business district was kind of hit and miss. Um, you can see the McDonald's sign here. 
Um, but what do you see of McDonald's? That's it. That's what's left of McDonald's, and that's pretty much what was left of all the fast food places and restaurants in town. So there's no place to eat. <laughs> um, I, I don't know how many cars and trucks and, and other vehicles were burned in the fire, but it had to be in the hundreds, maybe the thousands. <clears throat> and this is just one picture of a wrecking yard that was absolutely filled with cars that had been damaged in the fire. Um, the hospital was right on the ridge where the fire came up from the bottom and it was in great danger, but um, the building itself was saved. All of the people in the hospital were evacuated safely. Um, when we were there, there were hazmat teams working in the building and they don't know yet if they're actually going to be able to use it again or if they will have to rebuild. Um, I watched a video yesterday and it said that there were 14 or 24 churches in paradise and 14 of them survived meaning 10 of them burned. This is one of the churches that survived. Um, its back parking lot was full of RVs, so I am assuming they were um, giving a place to stay for many of the people who lost their homes. This is right next door to the church, a house that was burned to the ground. And we were amazed at the randomness of the fire. Um, it would absolutely take out some things. The, here's some vehicles that were right next to the church. If you look back in the corner there, that's the church sticking out. The church wasn't touched, but the house and all the vehicles right across the driveway were totally wiped out. Another random picture, and I noticed this on quite a few of the houses or, or where the houses were. The mailboxes were fine. And look at this one. The bush right next to the mailboxes is burnt to a crisp, but they're still standing and looking in good shape. And we saw things like that all over the place. Um, another thing we saw all over Paradise were RVs. People coming back to their property or coming back to town and finding a place where they could park and get some electricity and maybe some water and just living there uh, while they wait for um, the opportunity to rebuild. This is one of the, the sites of one of the churches that was a Lutheran church in town that was completely burnt to the ground. I like their verse that they have on there, we live by faith, not by sight, because you can't see the church. But entering the parking lot, there's that wooden cross that wasn't touched. Um, the Evangel Evangelical Free Church was sort of our headquarters. That's where we met our project leader, and that's where we used the bathroom. <laughs> um, it was also um, a place for people, when groups of people would come and, and to help out, they had all kinds of beds built in the basement of the church so people could stay there and then go out and help the people that, that they were assigned to. Also about that church, the back steps burned down, but the building didn't. <laughs> Through your generosity as members of our congregation here, we were able to give the Hope Center a $1,500 check to use toward uh, the rebuilding process there. 
obviously a lot of expense of, with the, uh, and to have money available to help different people out along the way was, was uh, greatly appreciated there. This is uh, Matt, our, our project coordinator that we worked with. Okay, our first week, um, the first day actually of, of work was on Wednesday and uh, we went out to the Evangelical Church to meet our uh, leader, so to speak. I don't know what his title was. I called him our, uh, let's see, I got it written here. I called him our recovery volunteer coordinator. And uh, actually he fit all of that. And he was a person that would drive around and uh, find places that needed help. And uh, most of the time he was in prayer and he kind of went to where God uh, told him to go. And so it, it, after we were there a little bit and the places we went to, we could see that it was certainly God's leading. So the first place we went to was uh, an older fellow, well, about my age. But, uh, <laughs> his name was Bob Day. And he had a married daughter that was helping him there. The two were working on the place. It had been cleaned up. And so we uh, stopped in there and, and uh, said, well, where do we start? He says, well, I have all this fence to build. So uh, Kevin and Julie headed for the fence. And he said, I've got that, those logs out there that need to be cut up. And that brush needs to be piled. So that's where Janice and I headed. And uh, the... Uh, pictures, let's see, okay, the one that you see there is where uh, we're loading some of the wood. He wanted that wood, he had neighbors that said they wanted the firewood, so he was taking it over to them. Let's see where I am here. Okay, this was uh, kind of a debate between Bob <laughs> and his daughter. She wanted to carve something out of this, and what this was, was a huge maple stump, uh, pardon me, an oak stump. It was actually three trees that had grown together. And so it was about, oh, what are you gonna say, about six feet tall, six to seven feet. And he wanted to cut down so it would be less expensive for the stump grinder to take care of. So uh, that's me leaning over there. And I, I might be doing more praying than sawing, but anyway, <laughs> I, I was getting it down uh, after a while. And it was so heavy, even after we got it cut off, it took three of us to push it off the stump and tip it over. Here we have uh, Janice and uh, myself. I think we're oiling the fence. After um, Kevin and Julie finished putting up all this, and that's cedar board, six inches uh, wide, and uh, there's quite a lot of it. After that, then he wanted it painted with deck oil, and so, uh, one of us would roll, and uh, then the other one would, uh, would spray, or I should say spray and then roll, and so that we had it all covered. And it took a lot of, a lot of oil to cover all of this, but we worked on it anyway. And uh, here we, uh, Janice and I are shown with Bob Day, and I might mention that uh, he, even though he goes to the evangelical church there, he's married to a Nazarene lady. And, <laughs> He says he's in trouble with the, with the relatives because of that, but he has some brother-in-laws that live in the Midwest and are Nazarene preachers. So uh, we weren't getting too far away from Nazarenes in this. <laughs> Do it. Okay, one day, Bob and his daughter Judy 
were very excited to show, do a show and tell for us. And they had brought up to Paradise a, a, something that they had found in the rubble of their home. And it was a couple of three months, two or three months after the fire before the people were allowed back up to look through their, uh, the remains of their homes because the hazmat teams had to go through and check for hazardous materials and they had cadaver dogs going through and they were looking for human remains. And after that was all finished, then the people were allowed to come back. So when Bob and his wife and Judy and her husband got back to their home site, uh, they started looking through things, and one of the things that they found was uh, part of a weather vane that they had had on top of their garage. And it was a metal eagle, and what they found was a piece of the wing. And when they picked it up and turned it over, they found this gold cross welded to it, and it had not been there before, and they cannot think of anything on the weather vane or in their garage or anything that had a gold cross like that. And they, so they do not know where it came from, but they were so excited to show it to us because they were saying how much encouragement and hope it gave them when they found that, that they were going to be able to move on and continue. One of the members of the Chico Church had, after the fire, had bought in this uh, barbecue truck. And so they were a catering truck where they could travel around and provide meals because all of the workers up in Paradise were, you know, kind of needed a place to eat and all. So they would go up to Paradise every day. Well, they stopped Leroy and Janice one morning as we were headed out. And they said, uh, this is our address. Where we'll be parking up there. As long as you're working in Paradise, uh, come by and we'll give you a free lunch. So we went by and had some awesome tri-tip sandwiches, pulled pork sandwiches, and later snagged some ribs from them. And it was just an awesome food and real blessing from them. Uh, he said the pastor told him to make sure he took good care of us, so, and he did that, yeah. One of the problems in the recovery process is housing for the workers, because so many houses were lost, and, and Chico just got overwhelmed with people, you know, living everywhere in parking lots and everywhere there for a long time. So they built what they call this man camp on the road on the way up to Chico. It's got these uh, large dormitories, can house about 1,550 workers. So a lot of the workers are living in this housing uh, currently. We were driving by one of the schools up there near where we were working and saw these posters posted, so we drove in one day to check it out. And these were pictures of missing and found pets from after the fire. So a lot of people have posted pictures of their missing pets and other people have found things and uh, the, some of the uh, animal uh, shelters and whatnot have, have animals that try to match, match them back up with their owners. And, and what you're seeing here is one wall of about five that looked about like that. So there's a lot of pets that were missing. And, and Judy, uh, Bob's daughter, she lost a cat in the, in the fire too and still looking, had hopes she might find her cat. This is uh, Pearson Road. <laughs> I was thinking of another road there. Pearson Road. And one of the major problems in the evacuation process was cars would either catch fire. First off, the roads were all jammed up with so many cars leaving at one time. And so the cars were sitting there as the fire came close, some cars caught fire. Uh, people, some people were getting out and running. A lot of people didn't make it out of their cars. Uh, some cars ran out of gas. And so the road quickly became blocked and people couldn't get out. <clears throat> One of the uh, Cal Fire uh, dozers came through and was dozing cars out of the way, burning cars to trying to clear the road. Also, heard, we heard reports of a, uh, a farmer in the area that had a, a farm tractor. He's using his tractor for the same thing and pushing the cars out of the way. But the pavement was so hot from the fires 
that the, the dozers were actually sinking into the asphalt as they pushed the cars out of the way. So you can see their tracks there. And we saw this on Pearson Road over and over and over as we drive in there each day. Yeah, when we were coming up to work in Paradise, we drove on this road um, quite a bit. And um, one lady that we met, um, she lived on a little side road that was right off of this, and so she had to use this as her evacuation route. And one of the things that impacted me the most on this trip was hearing the evacuation stories that the people told, and they were just heartbreaking. And so um, I'm going to relate how she told her story of how she evacuated. She was leaving in her, she was driving a Yukon, and she was driving uh, ahead of her daughter, and behind her was her daughter in, and her grandson in their Jeep. And they were driving on Pearson Road, but of course the traffic was all backed up and slow. And So she was sitting there, and she got a call from her daughter. And her daughter said, Mom, it's on fire, it's on fire. And she looked in her mirror, and there was smoke and flames coming out of her daughter's Jeep. And so she stopped and she ran back and her and a police officer who were in the area, they got the daughter and the grandson out of the car and the grandson got um, put in her car. So she had her grandson and her daughter ended up in the car of some stranger that she didn't even know. And so the, the daughter and the man who was driving that car, they were headed to Chico. And so there, she got separated from her daughter there, and it, it took a while after each of them got out to be able to get back together and find out that they both made it. But the daughter was riding with this man, and he was on the phone, on his cell phone, with his mom and dad, who were back in their home in Paradise. And he talked with them on the phone until they lost a connection, but his parents didn't make it out. Then, um, so that was the daughter's trip. The mom's trip, she was in a, she was headed to Oroville, which is another little town, because she had a friend who lived there, and so she was headed towards her house. But being all stopped up in the traffic and nothing was moving, and so she decided to get into the oncoming lane and drive. People weren't thinking outside the box, because they were just sitting there stuck in the fire. And so she started driving in the oncoming lane, and the people sitting in the on the other side, they were angry at her, she said, and they were yelling at her and making gestures and things that, um, but she, she was doing what she had to do and thinking outside the box. And we, we kind of heard a similar theme of the people that made it out that there was a lot of thinking outside the box they had to do in order to save themselves. So she, on her way to Oroville, she got a text from her husband saying that their marriage is over and he's going to go live with her best friend. So she was having a very bad day. She, she made it to Oroville safely, but her, the front passenger side of her Yukon is melted. She's still driving it. We saw her driving it when we were there. And um, once she got to Oroville, uh, she, she went to her friend's house, but because there were so many people um, displaced from the fire. In the house she was in, there was 35 people and 39 pets living there in the one house. Now she applied for FEMA housing and it took six months, but she got uh, accepted and she moved into the FEMA housing and this is where we met her. This is the FEMA housing. 
And um, so she's been living there ever since. She has a lot of struggles. She's, um, she says her job now is to go to the doctor, and she has at least one or maybe multiple doctor's appointments every day, some physical doctors, some emotional doctors. And she had been in a near-fatal car accident six years before. Mm -hmm. and had 63 surgeries, I think she said, mm -hmm. at this point. So um, she had rented a house up in Paradise, so she didn't have any money. You know, she didn't get an insurance check or anything to go back or rebuild or get a new home. So um, she invited us to her church, and we went to church with her the next week. And we took her out for dinner afterwards, and we were asking her, you know, what is your plan? What do you you know, where are you going to go? What are you planning to do? And she said, well, in May, I have to be out of the FEMA housing because that's the deadline. And she said, all of the housing is two to three times what I can afford to pay. And so she said, I just need one thing in my life that is stable. And at first, we were kind of afraid for her, but after we saw her at her church, she has a really good support system in her church and so we felt a lot better after we had went to church with her and saw the church environment that she was in. The second week, we went to the Green family and helped them at their place, um, Roger and Brenda. Um, they lost everything. They escaped in their um, pickup truck and car and their travel trailer. So. They've gone from a 6,000 square foot house to about a 22 foot travel trailer. <laughs> but we really enjoyed them. They were wonderful people. Uh, Roger gave us, gave Julie and I jobs that we really weren't expecting to have. One of them was painting rocks. <laughs> um, they're, they're kind of waiting for building permits and all those kind of things, so they can't do any, any of their building yet, so they're working on their property and trying to get everything in order there. And he has all of his flower beds lined with rocks, and because their house is going to be painted gray, he wants the rocks not to be the ugly orange that they naturally are. He wants them to be pretty, so we painted all of his rocks for him. Another thing we did was clean out his flower beds. Evidently, most of the flowers made it through the fire, and he has flower beds on three sides of his property, so there are lots of flowers there. Um, another job he gave us was to pick persimmons. There was a persimmon tree across the street from his house that was absolutely loaded. And so our next job was to go out there and pick persimmons. And Julie got to do the hard work. <laughs> she had one of those apple picker baskets, and she climbed the ladder and went as far up that tree as she could go and then reached as far as she could reach, while Brenda and I stayed on the ground and emptied the basket and put the persimmons in bags. <laughs> Personally, I was pretty pleased that our particular party was able to participate in picking a partial pack of Paradise Persimmons while we were participating in the Paradise Project. <laughs> I made it, I said it. <laughs> we picked many pecks of pretty persimmons. <laughs> Another job he gave us was to harvest flower seeds. 
So we went around all the flower beds and, and pulled the seeds off and um, put them in bags and, and identified what they were so that when his neighbors come back, he can give them flower seeds to plant. And one more job was to rake sticks and sawdust. He was planning on building a, a greenhouse and he needed the ground cleared, so Julie and I did all that raking. It was fun. Well, Roger's kind of a do-it-all in, in his neighborhood. He's always wanting to help out the neighbors. And uh, we did fall some small trees on his place, but uh, he contacted different neighbors that weren't living in the area anymore and to see if they wanted trees down and things like that. So we went over where the persimmon tree was, and Kevin and I dropped a lot of trees there. And everything we dropped, we cut into 16-inch firewood lengths. And I might mention that the tree that, the bigger tree that Kevin dropped turned out to be a, oh, a, a Lebanon cedar. Oh. And uh, the only way we found out what it was, I happened to find a cone off of this tree that hadn't gotten burnt up or anything. And he took it and got on his computer and that's what he decided it was. A, a, 11 and cedar. I'd never heard of one. Didn't look like any cedar tree that I'd ever seen. But uh, we cut those down and then he'd send us to other neighbors. And the picture you have right here is where we went about a quarter of a mile from his home and there was a big pile of, of uh, oak logs. And so one afternoon, Kevin and I got our saws going and we sawed until we, I think both of us ran out of <laughs> saw, mill, uh, saw gas for our saws. Now, I want you to look at this, and I know that Nazarenes don't dance, and, but, but the, this really isn't a Nazarene dance, what we're doing here, and besides, you wouldn't want to see me dance anyway, <laughs> two left legs. But uh, what he had done, this is the spot where he wanted his greenhouse, and he wants a greenhouse first of all so he could uh, raise some flowers and give seeds and flowers to his neighbors. And so that was a pad that he put down with gravel, and we were packing it. And then the next ones here were uh, sawing the lumber in the uh, proper lengths and uh, starting to build the, the base for this uh, greenhouse. And here's, here's part of the base there. Then the next one, we have the sheeting on it and ready for it to go up. Now each afternoon when it got too warm, they told us to quit. They knew we were from Northwest where it's much cooler than what they had. Their afternoons there would go mid-80s to 90. And uh, we're not quite used to that. I don't like to work in that anyway. So they had a canopy here and they would bring out Gatorade and snacks and things like that for us. But the most important thing was, and down there we found out everybody has a story to tell. And uh, the more I thought about this, especially after I got home, I got to thinking, all these stories, those people were willing to share. And I realized that us listening to those stories was probably really good therapy for them. And I think in many ways, they got more help with us listening to their stories than they did from our physical labor. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, you know, toward the end there, you could tell that they were really 
had welcomed us in, and I could tell they didn't want us to leave. They, I'm sure they could have found plenty of things for us to do to just stay there. Hmm. Of course, it was time for us to return home, but uh, it, it really was very nice and rewarding working for these people. And every day, at the end of the day, before we headed back to Chico, uh, Roger Green would, would circle us up, held hands, and he had prayer for us. And this is another couple that had Nazarene background. And he, uh, Brenda, his wife, came up with several names from uh, NNU that I also knew people by the same name, such as Mosley and some things like this. And uh, so we really did have something in common there. But anyway, the Paradise and Chico people really took good care of us, as Kevin had said. Um, our project coordinator, Matt, like Leroy was saying, his job is to drive around and find people who need help and then connect them up with volunteers who are coming in to help. And so one day he was driving around and he saw this new double wide, the two pieces of the double wide that were on one of these lots. And so he stopped and he asked, are you rebuilding here? And um, this is the family who was living there and it was Samantha who is a 34-year-old single mom, and she has uh, two twin boys who are 16, and a little seven-year-old Brandon, and then little two-year-old Faith. And she, this was her trailer, and she, yes, she was building, rebuilding there. But a few days later, Matt found out that the story behind him stopping there, he had said that God had told him to stop there. So um, three, a few days before that, um, Samantha's seven-year-old Brandon had asked her every night for like three nights in a row to come in and pray with him when he was going to bed. But she was so busy trying to get the site ready for their home and everything, and she said three nights in a row she would go in to pray with him, and he had already fallen asleep before she made it in there, and she was feeling really bad about that. And so the day that their home came, uh, the little boy wanted to come home early from school. She said he had a stomach ache, but she said, I really think he wanted to be there when the trailer got there. So um, he was outside working with her, and she said to him, Brandon, you know, uh, for three nights you've waited for me to come and pray with you, and I haven't made it in there, and I feel bad. And she said, let's pray right now. So they were outside in the yard praying, and one of the things that Brandon prayed for was for help with the rebuilding process. And she said it wasn't two minutes after that that Matt came by with his little white pickup and stopped and asked them if they needed any help. And so she, was, she wasn't even able to share that with Matt for a couple of days because she said she had just kind of lost um, all of her energy and she had kind of cracked that day and she really needed that. So that was a pretty cool story. So on the, the very last day that we were up there, we got to meet Samantha and she allowed us to video her evacuation story. Now, we heard a lot of evacuation stories, and like I said before, they were very impactful for me. Um, I felt really honored and humbled that these people trusted us enough in that short amount of time that we were there to share their stories with us, because they were obviously very personal and very traumatic and very emotional, and obviously very close to the 
surface for them still, even a year after the fire. But she did. Anyway, she's going to tell her story in a little bit. We're going to show some video of her. But this is where they're living now. She, after the fire, she was, ended up down in the Walmart parking lot in Chico in a tent for about two months. And then a woman from Santa Clara who had been through a, a fire in her house when she was a little girl found her on Facebook and financed this travel trailer for her to live in. So her and her two youngest kids were living in the travel trailer. Her, there wasn't room for all four of the kids, so the older boys were living somewhere else. So they moved the travel trailer to Los Molinos, which is about an hour from Paradise, and they stayed there for about uh, eight months. And she said at first that that was a good place for them to be for her kids because there were other fire victims there and they kind of bonded and they got together and they had, did things together. But as the fi other fire victims you know, found permanent housing and moved away, the trailer park became not a good place for her kids and she had things like whatever winter clothing she managed to get after the fire collected for her kids, she had in tubs under the travel trailer and it got stolen from there. So they lost that, and so she realized that it was time to go back to paradise, and she had not been back to paradise since then. So about two months before we were there, um, she moved the travel trailer back up to paradise, and this is their new double wide that was actually being installed as we were there uh, interviewing her. So she um, she'd, uh, inter she talked for about 45 minutes when we, when we videoed her evacuation story, and it was just absolutely horrific. And Kevin's got it edited down to about 10 minutes, so we're going to play a little bit of that for you. Um, this is her little two-year-old daughter, Faith, that the whole time that the mom was talking, Faith was playing out in the mud. And so this is what she looked like <laughs> at the end of the video uh, time. But Faith... Um, was only one year old at the time of the fire. She's two now, but um, Samantha told in her evacuation story how um, just thinking of her kids and having to try to get out for her kids was definitely uh, helped her, motivated her to try harder to get out, even though she said several times, she said, I have nothing left in me. I just can't go anymore. But she said um, thinking about her kids was the reason that she was able to uh, keep going and get out of the fire. When I was going up to Miguelia from here, I saw a bunch of traffic coming down. And I thought, that's weird. Right. It, just, it didn't feel right. I didn't see smoke or anything. I didn't see, it was, I couldn't even tell. I had no wow. idea. No idea. I got to the um, donut shop and as I pulled up to the donut shop, the lady working there was running out the door and all the lights were off and she, I mean, she didn't even turn around to lock it. She just ran straight out the door and to her car and I'm like, I rolled down the window and I'm like, hey, are you closing? And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, the towns are burning down. Curtis Miguel is on fire. And that's when my mom called. And my mom said, I, uh, I got all the kids and the dog taken care of. Go to Chico now. And like my peripheral, I see uh, like this something, and I look over, and their school's on fire. And then I hear ding, 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 ding. It was my gas light. I was on empty. 
I was walking and I was on my phone, I was texting on my phone. There was no fire or anything, and out of nowhere, just fire shot across the road, completely across the road, to the other side, and it lit everything on fire, really. And I mean, I kind of just stood there for a minute and I couldn't really comprehend like, what was going on. I was like, just trying to figure out if it was like real even. Now I'm walking back from the first fire that I was walking away from, running from another fire. And that fire had worked its way down. So at that point, I'm literally walking through everything on fire. And I just, I went to my knees and I just, well, I do is pray. And I just put it in God's hands and let him take me where he wants to take me. And I hear this lady and she says, excuse me, what do you, why are you, what are you doing out there? Come get in the car. Come get in the car right now. Okay, now I'm in a fire. The town is literally burning down around me. I am on foot. I have no car. And my phone just died. So by this time, I'm, I can't breathe. Like by the time she gets to me in the car, I'm like, I can't breathe. I'm hyperventilating and I'm not comprehending what is going on at all. And then like, all of a sudden, I hear this like crackling and just, it just was little sounds and I was like, and then I hear like an explosion and I'm like, like it made me jump and I like look behind me and it was like, it was like a wave of fire. The only thing, the only way I can describe it is it was like a tsunami to me, but fire. Oh. And it just came down and everything in its path was on fire. Everything in its path was on fire. The cars behind us, uh, people were getting out of their cars, running, and there were people in their cars that did not make it out. Lady I was with, she says, oh my gosh, my kids are back there. My kids are back there. It had to have been within like a few minutes of the fire going through these huge trees before they just started falling down. And it was like the flame went straight through the tree, the, the trunk of the tree, and just the tree started falling. And then it's, then there's, then there's, no way out. Then the whole tree was on fire on the ground. Everywhere around you was on fire. And it was like, okay, I'm going to die here now. That's what's going to happen. I'm not going to go home. And she handed me the phone. And I texted. The first text was goodbye to my kids. Then started writing goodbye to my mom. Sent that message and she called me and she's crying and she's freaking out. My dad's crying and he's freaking out. And I'm just like, I'm not me. I can't. There's fire everywhere, mom. I'm surrounded. I cannot get out. There is fire everywhere. I look. It's everywhere. And there's people on fire in the cars around me, you know? 
and I'm gonna die here, I'm not making it out. And you just have to take care of my kids. I need to know that. And she said, you're not gonna die there in that fire. You're not gonna sit there and just die. You get out of that car and you run, and I don't care if you have to run through fire. Don't, you have kids, you can't just give up. You can't just sit there and say, you're gonna die. Get out and run. Run through the flames, do whatever you have to do. You can't just sit there and die. I can't, Mom. I can't, I can't, I can't. It, I can't, if I'm here and I'm in the car, hopefully the smoke will get me before the flames get me, you know? And she's like, no, God's telling me you're not gonna die today. Put my hand on the door and I looked at the lady and her kid and I thought, she can't run because her son's on crutches, you know? And I was just like, I can't leave them here. How do you do that, you know? And she can't run. So she's gotta stay here with her son in this. And I just couldn't imagine being her at that, that moment. I couldn't imagine that. And I just couldn't, I just, it was so hard for me to leave them there like that. I couldn't even say anything to them. I just opened the door. I just got out and ran. And I was telling as I was running, I was screaming, get out of your cars, get out of your cars, get out of your cars, get out of your cars. And it was this tiny little, between the end of the storage units and the end of this tree, you know? And I just ran, I closed my eyes and I just ran through it. And I'm running and this guy goes, excuse me. And I look at him and I'm like, yeah, and he goes, can you help my wife? I can't, I'm disabled and I can't, I can't get out. And I said, you need to get out now. And he said, I can't. Can you please help my wife get out of the car? And she said, I'm not leaving. And I was, me, that was hard. That was really hard. I start to walk over there and a lady comes up behind me and she puts her hand on my shoulder and she says, you have to come. You can't help them. You have to leave, leave them. Let, let them. let them try to get out themselves. You can't. You can't help them. You don't have time. And she tugged on my shoulder and pulled on me and she said, come on. And she started praying and I just turned around and went with her. And I just went and went and went and went and went and went. I was like, I don't get to my kids, I don't get to my kids, I don't get to my kids, I don't get to my kids. And I ended up going for like four miles. I checked it afterwards. I, I got all the way, I walked all the way to the end of paradise. I sat down and I just kind of watched. It's all gone. Everything's gone. I can now say the whole town is gone. You could see from, I mean, I could see from way over there, I could see, I looked to me like I could see way past my house even, you know? And I just watched it all kind of close in and four cars or five cars passed me and they just drove right around me. I mean, I was like, 
jumping in front of these cars as they were coming and I was like, please open the, open the doors, let me in. I'm just driving around me. The lady that had passed me had stopped way down the road. And so I got up and I started running towards her car and I got in her car and she turns on Neil Road and the whole road is on fire. And it's like everything I just came out of all over again. There was like nothing left inside of me. It was just kind of like nothing, you know? And the girl was crying and the lady was like driving through flames around trees in the road. It was like I was like, I cannot believe this is happening. What is happening right now? Like, it's not ever gonna end. This is never gonna end. Like, this is never gonna end. And then all of a sudden, like, came out. There blue sky. Okay. It's been a big struggle since then. And everyone says, like, well, at least you made it out alive. And I always say, yeah. I didn't make it out alive. No. I died back there. I died back there. And now I'm trying to. This is a whole new life. Who I was, everything I was, everything I had is gone and dead. That's what it feels like. I died in that fire.